You're listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. The teenage brain is a work still in progress. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable, and I'm your host, Dr. Laura Humphrey. With me today is Dr. Monique Ernst. Dr. Ernst is board certified in psychiatry and neurology and is senior staff clinician in the intramural program at the National Institute of Mental Health in Bethesda, Maryland. She's a researcher in the branch of developmental and affective neuroscience within the Mood and Anxieties Disorders program. Her research focuses on brain mechanisms involved in risk factors, pathogenesis, and treatment of pediatric neuropsychiatric disorders. Welcome, Dr. Ernst. Thank you for having me. Today we're discussing brain development during adolescence. So, Dr. Ernst, what types of structural changes occur in the brain during adolescence? Okay, so here you're talking about structure, and of course, structure has some effect of function. And so, there are these two aspects of brain development that we should talk about. So, in terms of structure, there is the whole brain volume, which overall doesn't change across adolescence. And when we talk about adolescence, we talk about a pretty wide period that stretches from about 10 years old to 20 years old. And during this period, the whole brain volume doesn't change. However, there are certain structures within the brain that change so that there may be an increased volume, for instance, of prefrontal cortex where there is a decreased volume of some other areas. What's important is more than the entire volume or even regional volume of the brain are changes within the cell types and maybe the cell configurations, which are the neurons, and also in terms of the type of connection that are occurring between the regions that are also changing. So in terms of the cell, during adolescence, it has been found recently, within the past 10 years, that during adolescence, there is this very particular period of pruning. And when I use the word pruning, it's just like pruning branches of a tree, such that the cells, the neurons, which have a lot of branches, which are called dendrites, gets these branches to be decreased. And this happens during adolescence, and what decreases are the branches that are not used anymore through function, through experience. And uh, in that way, the information flows more efficiently. More than that, we all know about myelin, which is this lipid sheath that surrounds the branches of the neurons, and this sheath permits the information to go much faster. And so not only does the information flow more specifically from one cell to the other because there are less branches, but also it flows more rapidly, so the information is transmitted more rapidly. And what determines which areas, which regions and networks increase and which ones are pruned, which ones have volume increases, and so on. What determines that? So this is a very important question, and I don't think we know yet. I mean, there is definitely a genetic program 
that organize, orchestrate these changes throughout the brain. But it may be that this genetic program interferes with the environment and with experience. So some direction, genetic direction, for instance, would not be operational if the environment is not there to promote these changes, for example. And there may be some changes that may be needed before other changes take place. So this is within the brain, the, the genetic changes being already started. You know, when you think about it, there are so many ways in which things can go wrong. And in a way, it happens so infrequently, considering how many things can go wrong. And so it's actually experience interacting with the environment and the world that even can determine the genetic expression or in terms of this pruning and the ways that the neurons interconnect. and Timetable of the different regions that mature, and that's going to be important for the function. Can you tell us more about just generally what kind of timetable are the different regions following? Grossly, there is the cortex, and then there is the subcortical region. So the cortex, and particularly the prefrontal cortex or the frontal cortex, is the area that permits to do more high-level cognitive operations such as planning or anticipating, inhibiting, modulating behavior consciously. The subcortical regions are important for automatic or innate behavior, such as you see a snake and you freeze or you flee right away without thinking about what you're doing. So that type of behavior response to the environment is more likely being initiated and uh, coded subcortically. So there are these two main divisions of the brain structure. And I want to just take a break for a moment and let our audience know if they've just joined us, they're listening to ReachMD at XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Laura Humphrey, and we are speaking today with Dr. Monique Ernst, Senior Staff Clinician in the Intramural Program at the National Institute of Mental Health in Bethesda, Maryland. She's also board certified in psychiatry and neurology. We're talking about brain development during adolescence. And you were just distinguishing between the two main areas of brain development being the cortex or cortical regions and the subcortical regions. And you were just about to tell us about how those unfold in a somewhat different timetable. It's clear that the cortex or the prefrontal cortex develops, takes a longer time to develop within the cortex. The prefrontal cortex is the latest one to fully develop. There is the occipital cortex that's most likely related to visual input and visual information processing. Then there is the parietal cortex that's more related to sensory and uh, visual spatial processing. And the temporal cortex that's more related to auditory processing. And then there is some specialization of the left cortex, the left hemisphere for language and speech. Subcortically, there is a lot of different processes 
that are being done that maintain homeostasis, like eating, sex, drinking, and all this, that are done subcortically and that maintain the homeostasis of the body. But there are, within the function, we can distinguish some systems are more specialized in responding to reward and approaching stimuli, and some systems that are more related to breaking behavior, freezing, avoiding threats. And that makes sense. And so the idea is that in adolescence, these systems may be developing differently than from one another and from the prefrontal cortex that maintains some kind of control over these automatic innate behavior. And the more basic elementary ones in the subcortical regions are then evolving earlier during the course of adolescence? So I'm not sure whether we can say they are developing earlier. They are in place at birth, basically. So there is this undifferentiated response to one, you know, threatening stimuli, and some are innate. I mean, they are built within our genetic framework, such as fear of a snake. Then you can learn not to fear a snake, but, you know, this is within the our patrimony. And there is the smile that is also probably innate. So you have an innate positive response to a smile, and this positive response is translated as an approach. These two systems are in place, but they get probably more or less active, potent in uh, controlling behavior. And the belief is that the way that the approach system is developing across adolescence is by affording greater power to the potential for approaching stimuli, such that there is some increased intensity of novelty seeking, of reward seeking, of risk seeking during adolescence. And at the same time, the avoidance system might be a little bit less powerful at directing behavior. I can imagine all the implications of that (laughs) that we witness easily during adolescence. I'm intrigued by what you said, too, in terms of how experience really determines so much of how the adolescent brain develops. How is it structurally that an experience is reacted to or incorporated or regulating of the brain? So, I mean, one very concrete and obvious uh, experience is drug using. The first time that you use heroin, for instance, then you have things that change in the brain. There is some priming effect of this drug that will be learned by the brain, which means there is some change in some plastic changes happening within the neural cells and the way the brain responds to stimuli, such that when the reward system or the approach system is exposed to heroin, it's going to become much more sensitive to this type of stimulus and less sensitive to other stimuli in comparison. 
And this is a change that is very difficult to remediate. So it actually affects to use heroin, especially during adolescence when the brain is forming and pruning, actually affects the brain's response to that as a reward approach system compared with what might be healthier and more... Right. But you can think of any other stimuli on environmental experience that also is going to make its mark on the neural circuits. But it's very, of course, it's very complex. I used heroin because it's obvious. But the same is true for cigarette, for instance, for nicotine. The same probably is true for sex, you know, those strong stimuli. The same is true for money and social experience. And I want to thank today Dr. Monique Ernst, who's been our guest. And we've been discussing brain development during adolescence, the structural changes. I'm Dr. Laura Humphrey, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.